So good to see you this morning. It's such a blessing to be here. I, uh, I filled out one of these cards. I'm going to drop it off at the end of the service, and I'd encourage you to do the same thing. I'm going to be praying for my neighbors, um, Vito and Mary Lee. They're wonderful people, like lovely, lovely people, but they know nothing about the gospel. And I have tried to have gospel conversations with them, but they, they don't really respond. And so my prayer this week is that as we pray next Sunday night, that God would allow an opportunity that would open up a gospel conversation. Simple prayer, but that's, that's gonna be my prayer. So please, if you are, particularly if you are trying to engage somebody or if you are engaging someone with the gospel, just write their name down. We're not gonna make it public. We're not gonna expose them. We'll just put a first name on a sheet, but we wanna gather these cards next Sunday night and just ask God to intervene in the lives of these people that we love and that we're praying for. So please, Please do that. So, let me tell you some very interesting information about me. My tongue weighs about two ounces. That means that it represents one sixteenth, one sixteen hundredth of my body weight, or point zero 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 six two five of my body weight. But I can tell you this: that my tongue has caused me significantly more trouble than its percentage of my body weight would indicate. I'll give you an example. Now this happened a long time ago, and uh, I've come a long way since then, but I was picking up my daughter Ashley at daycare. She was about three, and it was in the Maple Avenue Baptist Church in Georgetown. And I went in there one morning to get Ashley, and I'm standing in kind of a narrow hallway, waiting outside the door, and there's a young woman standing beside me, across the hall from me, and I'm the kind of guy like like to talk, like to say hi to people and engage with people. So I look at this young lady, and before I could put my brain in gear, I said, so you're having a baby. Yes, I did that. And she looked at me and she said, actually not, no. Now in my mind at that particular moment, I'm praying like, Lord, now is a perfect time for the rapture. (laughs) If there was ever a time in human history when the rapture would be a good thing, it's now. And I'm also saying to myself, just stop talking, Paul. Just stop talking. Don't say anything more. Apologize and don't say, you know what I said? Have you just had a baby? Seriously, seriously. Little two ounce hand grenade right there. I apologized profusely. She looked at me, she says, it's okay, you've inspired, me to, you've inspired me to go to the gym. I felt so bad. I, I went home and I told my wife, Cindy, I said, Cindy, I cannot go back for the rest of this year to pick up Can- Ashley in case I meet this lady. I am mortified by what I said. I'm absolutely mortified by what I said. James 3 speaks to us, as a matter of fact, this whole section through the first half of chapter four is all about the tongue. It's a small little part of our bodies, but man, does it cause a lot of trouble. And it's not just foolish and embarrassing things that James speaks to us about. He's addressing real people in real churches whose tongues are causing real damage, real relational damage within these churches, within these homes. If you read the book, some people were boastful. 
using their tongues to boast. Some, some of them are just using filthy language and speaking about things in a very filthy way. Some were gossiping and spreading rumors. Others were quarreling and fighting with each other. Some were judging each other and speaking evil against each other, lying and cursing. And so it's not surprising that in their marriages and in their relationships and within the churches, there was conflict. Their homes were suffering conflict because of how they were using their tongues. And so James knows that these early Christians need to learn to bridle their tongues, need to learn to tame their tongues. Controlling our impulse to speak, speak unwisely or out of anger or out of hurt, controlling our impulse to lie and make ourselves look better or to slander and criticize other people is a critical thing critical thing if we were to have peace in our lives, in our homes, in our marriages, in our churches. And so as I've said from James 3 verse 1 through 4 12, James addresses this issue in earnest. Now he's already addressed it a couple of times in chapter 1. In verse 19 he says, you need to be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to use your tongue, and slow to become angry. Now he really delves into this subject in a lot more detail. And so I want to just say at the beginning, if your life is marked by conflict, strained relationships or broken relationships, distrust or some sort of alienation, then it's very probable that part of the cause is your tongue. It's things that you have said. Thing, it's this consequence of how you've, you've used your tongue. And so we need to learn to tame our tongues. We need to learn to control what we say. So how do you control this little two-ounce hand grenade that can literally blow up your life, blow up your marriage, blow up your relationship with your children, blow up your employment situation? How do you control this little two-ounce hand grenade? So let's read this passage of Scripture together. So if you have your Bibles, let's go to James chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. And it says this, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire, and the tongue is a fire. A world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison, and with it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people 
who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth comes blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things not ought to be so. Does a spring pour forth the same, from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives? Or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. So, in this passage of Scripture, James teaches us about how to tame the tongue. And the first thing he says is this, is be careful when speaking about God. Now, it appears that James, writing this encyclical to all of these various churches that are primarily made up of Jewish refugees from Jerusalem, there are people who are aspiring to the office of teacher, pastor. They wanted to teach the word of God. And James says to them, don't be quick in assuming the role of teacher. Don't be quick to assume the role of a preacher of the word of God because you will be judged with a more strict, a more severe judgment. Paul warns this same thing when he writes to Timothy about people who desire to teach in 1 Timothy chapter 1. And they were teaching, desiring to teach without understanding what they were teaching about or making confident assertions without any sense of confidence about what they were really saying. And even though Timothy himself was a qualified teacher, Paul says this in 2 Timothy, do your best to present yourself to God, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly dividing or accurately teaching the word of truth. So if we speak about God, we must be accurate. If we're going to speak about God, what we say has to be biblical. It has to be true. It has to be accurate, and it has to be honoring to God. But what I've noticed over the last 30, 40 years of my pastoral ministry is that people have become very cavalier in the last couple of generations about speaking about God. People have very little compunction at all about saying things confidently about God. Expressing opinions about him very freely, despite the fact that God says he will judge this carelessness severely. When I went to Bible college, I was 19. In my first year of Bible college, I found myself in a pretty heated argument with some people. I didn't believe in the sovereignty of God in salvation. And so I was saying things like this. If you believe in this God choosing you garbage, then your God is capricious and arbitrary. Your God is a cold-hearted monster because I believe in a God of love. And I could never worship the God that you're talking about. So as I was leaving the discussion... 19 years old, knowing pretty much everything you needed to know for life. <laughs> a guy walked out of me, who's today the principal of Toronto Baptist Seminary, a really good man. And at that time, and I still think today he's a weightlifter, he's a pretty big guy. And he followed me out of the room and he pushed me up against the wall. And I was a little intimidated by that. <laughs> and he said this, before you speak about my Jesus so carelessly and so cavalierly, why don't you just shut up and go into the library and find out what the Bible truly says? And so I did. And I realized that I was 
profoundly wrong. And that the things I had said about God were profoundly wrong. But see, I was speaking out of my ignorance. I was speaking out of uh, an emptiness theologically and saying all kinds of things about God that simply weren't true, drawing conclusions about him that simply weren't true. I was cavalier, I was unwise, and I've subsequently asked God to forgive me for those words. You see, when we fear and respect God, we begin to learn to control what comes out of our mouths, right? When we fear and respect God, his worth controls our words. His character controls what we say about him. There is a sense of awe that governs what we say, how our tongue functions. Now the same should apply to people too because James says in this passage of scripture that people that we are willing to curse are people who are made in the image of God. And And he draws this contrast and he says, what in the world are you doing? You bless God and you curse people made in his image. What's that about? Where do you get off doing that? Where do you get license? Where do you get permission? How do you feel comfortable doing that? So here's the deal. If we are dismissive and cavalier and careless and offhanded about how we talk about God, we will never control our conversation in talking to and about other people. Does that make sense? If we can't control what we say about God, if we're not deferential to God so that we shut our mouths when we don't know, how in the world can we ever possibly hope to speak properly and in a godly manner to and about other people? It's almost like Paul or James is setting this up and saying, here's here's kind of the training wheels for your tongue. First of all, learn to speak nobly, honorably, truly, respectfully, deferentially about God. Start there. Because if you don't know, if you can't get there, if you don't know how to speak properly, deferentially about God, you do not have a hope of speaking that way to your wife or your husband or your children. It always, it should start with God. Honoring honoring and speaking well about him is a model, is a template. It allows us to practice what we must do in relationship to those others in our lives. Whether it's elders around the elders board table, whether it's your family around your dinner table, whether you're talking to your parents or whether you're talking to your kids, whether you're talking to your boss or your employees, we must be deferential. We must be honoring. And it begins as we defer and honor God. Secondly, let your tongue speak to you first. Look at verse 2. For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, mature person, able also to bridle his whole body. James says, we stumble in many ways. Nobody is perfect although I have never asked a woman since that day 30 years ago if she's pregnant. I'll ask my wife, is she pregnant? 
but I'll not ask. I've never done it because I learned my lesson, right? So we learn, as we learn to control our tongue, we become mature is what James is saying. A controlled, restrained tongue is a, an illustration. It's a evidence of maturity in our lives. But we all struggle and occasionally we mess up. We disappoint ourselves and we disappoint God. But generally it's true, according to this passage of scripture, that if we are able to control our tongues, then we're probably pretty mature Christians. There's a correlation there. You're able to control or bridle your entire body as well. But if you can't bridle or govern what comes out of your mouth, it's very probable that you can't govern your behavior in other aspects of your life. What James is saying here is almost like your tongue is a gauge. Your, your tongue is a gauge. It measures for us the maturity in our lives. A controlled, restrained tongue that speaks respectfully, that tells the truth, that doesn't lie, that honors and edifies and blesses, represents a person who, for the most part, has his or her body under control, lives a godly, mature life. Someone on the other side of the coin, someone who speaks disrespectfully, someone who has outbursts of anger, somebody who is bragging, somebody who is causing fights, somebody who is just using their tongue in a sinful, demeaning way, is very likely, almost certain, that the, there are other aspects of their, their life, his or her life, that are not mature, not godly. So if you gossip, cut and condemn with your words, judge, castigate others, discourage others, if you find, yourselves, find yourself arguing with people quite regularly, alienating people because of what you say, don't assume that you're a mature Christian. Let your tongue test the legitimacy of your faith. And that's exactly what James teaches in chapter 1. Look at verse 26 of chapter 1. He says this, If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but he deceives, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. It's worthless. So we need to learn to listen to and judge the level of our Christian maturity by what comes out of our mouths. Don't think that you are a, Christ, a godly Christian man or woman if you can't, gar, can't control your tongue, if you can't govern what comes out of your mouth, because you're not. You're not. Simply, there's a profound immaturity in you at best, or your faith is illegitimate at worst. And I said this last week when we talked about the previous passage, but it bears repeating. Don't assume that you are saved if the evidences of grace are not evident in your life. So how do we know, as we said last week, that our faith is dead and that it is useless, or as James says in this passage in chapter one, that it is worthless? How do we know well, we look for the evidence. How do we know that it is alive 
How do we know that the Spirit of God is dynamically involved in our lives? Is there a process of sanctification going on? And is that process of sanctification, is the work of the Holy Spirit transforming how I speak? Now I know we're saved by grace and by grace alone, by faith alone and Christ alone. I understand that. But grace changes us. It must change us. And it changes every facet of our lives. If there's no change, then it is obvious that there is no salvation. Despite the fact that you've prayed the sinner's prayer a hundred times, salvation is manifest in a transformed life. The Spirit of God transforms those he saves. So as James says in chapter 1, don't deceive yourself. He deceives his own heart. This person's religion is worthless. We often deceive ourselves using bad theology. Don't do that. When the Holy Spirit saves a man or a woman, he will always, without exception, every single time, begin a process of change in his or her life, and that includes the tongue. Thirdly, recognize the destructive power of words. Look at verse 3. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so they obey us, we gather whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder. Wherever the will of the pilot directs, so also the tongue is a small member, and yet it boasts great things. James now is going to begin to use illustrations, and he uses three. We're going to talk about two of them right now, but he uses three ultimately to help us appreciate the enormous impact, negative impact, that our tongues can have. So he speaks about two things. First, he speaks about the bits that we put into horses' mouths, and he says that little tiny bit is able to control that massive big animal. He talks about ships, and this massive big ship being driven by strong, strong winds is controlled by a relatively small, proportionally small rudder that directs this entire ship. So both are proportionally small in comparison to the, to the hole, the, the bit in comparison to the horse, the rudder in comparison to the ship. But both have the potential to, to direct the course of these large powerful entities. So in verse 5, he says this, so also the tongue, it's a small member, two ounces, one sixteen hundredth of my body weight. Very small, but it boasts of great things. What he's saying here is the tongue is a small piece in the body, like a bit or a rudder, disproportionately small, but it has a large impact on our lives. Verse Five in the New Living Translation translates it this way. So also the tongue is a small thing, but what enormous damage it can do. And so as a consequence, as Christians, we must respect the destructive power of the tongue. Years ago, my dad said to me, son, it's better to stay silent and be thought a fool than to open your mouth and remove all doubt. <laughs> Thanks, dad. He was talking about, he said, when you don't know the subject, when you don't know what you're talking about, better to stay silent and be thought a fool than to open your mouth and remove all doubt. Because by talking, you're going to be digging a hole. Just shut up. Don't say anything. 
Sometimes saying nothing is a brilliant strategy. Sometimes saying nothing is the best thing that we can do. One of the great motivators for staying quiet when you're provoked, one of the great motivators for not embellishing a story, particularly about yourself, or not gossiping about another person, or not letting that insult fly, is the consequences, the painful consequences that will accrue to you ultimately if you do. Listen, a lie can rob you of your credibility. A lie can rob you of trust. Constant lying can absolutely rob you of any trust whatsoever in relationships. Harsh, angry criticism can alienate a spouse or a child or a friend. Being adamant about something that doesn't matter can ruin a friendship, can ultimately split a church. Sometimes the best thing that we can do is to say absolutely nothing. And we are more inclined not to speak when we begin to appreciate the gravity and the significance and the power, the destructive power, of what our words can do when we let them fly. 1 Peter 3.10 says this. I love this little verse. Whoever desires to love life and see good days. Do you desire to love your life and see good days? Most people go, yeah, that sounds like a good plan. I want to love my life and all the days that God gives me, I'd like to see good days. Then Peter, quoting the Old Testament, says this. Then let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Stop talking. Stop talking. If you want to live a life that is, if you want to love life and see good days, tame your tongue. Tame your tongue. The alternative is that we set a blaze in our lives that is going to burn us. And maybe some of you are sitting here today and you're thinking back to words that you said. Moments when you didn't control your tongue and you think about it now, man, did that ever cost me a lot. We need to learn to tame our tongues. If you have an untamed tongue, it is going to burn you. Look what he says in verse 6. The tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life and it's set on fire by hell itself so we need to understand appreciate and be wary of be afraid of the power of that little two ounce hand grenade in your mouth so so far we have spoken about three things and we haven't really talked so much practically about how to tame the tongue we have, we have just said that we need to speak about God carefully, right? We have, we have said that we need to listen to what we say because it will be a barometer. It will measure the level of our maturity. And we have said we need to be careful because the tongue is dangerous. Better to say nothing at times. Now, those, I believe are true 
All that I have said, I believe, is true. But there's nothing practical there that helps us to tame our tongue. I think this next section gets very practical. So I'd like you to carefully follow me as we go through this next section. For verse six and following, I think what James is saying is this, let your tongue diagnose your hurt. Let your tongue diagnose your hurt. The third illustration that James <clears throat> uses is a small flame that triggers a huge forest fire, a spark that initiates a huge conflagration in our lives. He calls the tongue a fire, a world of unrighteousness, a restless evil full of deadly poison. And then in verse 8, he uses this phrase, and, it, and we shouldn't just skip over it. He says this, He likens the tongue to the fangs of a poisonous snake. It is full of deadly poison. So the allusion here to Satan should not be overlooked. In our flesh, if we have an unbridled and an untamed tongue, we, as the followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, will inject deadly venom into those with whom we speak. We will literally do the serpent's work for him. We will do Satan's work. If, if we allow our tongue just to run amok, if we speak out of the flesh, if we are quick to speak and slow to listen and quick to become angry, Satan will applaud because you will, you will accomplish his purposes with your tongue. Will literally do Satan's work. You can crush your spouse and your kids with your words. Hurtful, demeaning words of a parent will reverberate, will reverberate for a lifetime in the heart and the memory of your children. You will do Satan's work. Your words can deeply wound. Our criticism can sap the self-confidence of our kids. Our shaming them doesn't cause them to be better people, to accomplish more. Doesn't cause them to excel, but it simply causes them to question their own worth and their own ability. Gossip and slander can poison our relationships with other people. Lies can cause people to distrust us and distance themselves from us. Rumors can undermine a good person's credibility in the eyes of others. Outbursts of anger can alienate a friend. It can split a church. It can blow up a marriage. And Satan is pleased. So hear this. Your tongue will either speak peace or poison. Your tongue will either edify and encourage or hurt. You're going to bind up or you're going to blow up. And Satan wants nothing more than you would use your tongue venomously to accomplish his purposes in your marriage, in your home, with your children, in your church, in your small group. He wants you to inject venom. He wants you to be venomous and use your tongue evilly. 
Now, I've heard people who have looked at this passage of Scripture and they've excused themselves by saying, well, I can't tame my tongue. Isn't that what James says? How in the world can I possibly do what you're saying? I just, people make me upset. They say things that provoke me and I just lash out. Yeah, I feel bad afterwards and I ask for forgiveness, but I can't help myself. And Paul and James says that right in the passage. What does he say? Verse seven, for every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. I'm not responsible. I can't help myself. That is an excuse and it's completely and totally invalid. If there was any validity to that argument at all, why would Paul or why would James at the beginning of this book have said, be slow to speak? Why would he have said in chapter 1, verse 26, if you can't bridle your tongue, know this. What James is saying here is that we can't, on our own, by ourselves, by making a choice, tame our tongues. You can't, you can't do it on your own. No human being can tame his or her tongue by themselves. You can't. But the Spirit of God in you can. The Spirit can change you. But we've got to recognize that we've got a problem. And it's here that a lot of people struggle. It's here that a lot of people struggle. And although they might admit intellectually or theologically that, yeah, I believe that the Spirit of God can tame my tongue, they're not particularly concerned about how they communicate. They're cavalier and careless Like, I can't, I can't change how you communicate. Can't change how you speak to your wife or your husband. Can't change how you speak to your children. But, but know this, it's not your spouse's job to interpret you. It's your job to communicate clearly and effectively. And communication is not just the words that you speak. It's your facial expression, it's your tone of voice, it's your demeanor. We have responsibility for those things that we communicate. And it's not the responsibility of the person hearing to interpret. It's the responsibility of the person speaking to be clear and precise. You and you alone, I and I alone, am responsible for the damage of my verbal wake. We must accept responsibility. So my plea is this. Quit hurting others. Quit doing the devil's work for him. Stop poisoning the church. Stop spreading the venom of gossip. Stop demeaning and belittling your children or your spouse. Don't do Satan's work for him. Stop lying. Stop bragging. Stop criticizing. Stop judging. So how? How? I learned a phrase a lot of years ago, and it's simple. Hurt people hurt people. Hurt people 
hurt people. Broken people hurt people. Wounded people hurt people. People with broken hearts hurt people. I want you to flip over to Matthew chapter 12, verse 33, and I want you to read this passage of Scripture with me because it's important. Matthew 12, 33 says this. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, you snakes, he's saying. Speaking to the Pharisees here, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Stop there. Out of the abundance of the heart, the tongue is activated. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Our words reveal what's in our hearts. Our words reveal the brokenness that's down inside. Our tongue begins to diagnose the state of our heart. And so eventually, we have to understand this. Our words reveal what's filling our hearts. So we need to listen to what our tongue says about the condition of our heart. Has anyone ever stopped you? Maybe this is the first time in your journey. Has anyone ever stopped you and said, please, please, just listen to yourself. Just listen to yourself. Because it reveals what's in your heart. The only way to deal with a poisonous tongue is for the Lord to heal a broken heart. You can't tame it. You can't control it. Your spouse can't and shouldn't have to. The only way that your poisonous tongue can be tamed, bridled, brought under control, is that you recognize that out of the abundance of the brokenness in your heart, your mouth speaks. So hear me when I say this. A broken heart will sound angry. An insecure heart will sound boastful. A judgmental heart will sound critical. A proud heart will sound arrogant and demanding. A lust-filled heart will sound filthy. A bitter heart will sound vengeful. A fearful heart will sound controlling. And we can go on with that list. You see, the only way that a tongue is ever truly tamed is when the Lord Jesus Christ, by the power of his spirit, transforms the brokenness in our soul. We must be healed inside. Psalm 139 says this, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts, know my fears. And see if there be any hurtful way in me, any offensive, broken, wounded part of my soul and lead me in the everlasting way. What I want you to do, maybe even now for a moment, 
is just ask the Lord to answer that prayer for you. What's inside? What is the little volcano down in here that produces so much damage audibly? And ask the Spirit of God to begin a process of healing. The lustful person, the fearful person, the insecure person. What brokenness is there? Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me, try me, and see if there's something broken. Where is the hurt? Where is the woundedness? Because that's where I need the Spirit of God to bring transformation into my life. Because unless that is changed, you will never be different. But the beautiful thing about grace, the beautiful thing about the gospel is that when God saves, he transforms. That those whom God saves, he begins to change from the inside out. So I ask you to bow your heads with me. We're going to pray. Father God, we, all of us, are at various stages of our spiritual journey. Our maturity or our immaturity is evidenced by what comes out of our mouths. What comes out of our mouths is an indication of what's in our hearts. And so I pray for us, all of us, myself included, that you would search us right now. That you would know us. That you would test us. And show us that way of pain, that hurtful way, that brokenness, that wound that needs bounding, binding up by the Spirit of God. Lord, what is that insecurity? What is that fear? Where does that pride reside in our hearts? What's the source of that anger, that bitterness, that unforgiveness that wants so to hurt back? I pray, Spirit of God, that you would work in God's children as we gather before you this morning. I thank you that you are the source of healing, that you are the healer, that only you can change us, that our tongues can be tamed as you heal the brokenness in our souls. And so, Father, we give to you right now that insecurity, that fear, the pride, the anger, that hurt that was done to us so long ago that causes us to be bitter and vengeful, that sense of smallness that doesn't understand its significance in Christ that puts others down to make ourselves feel better and puff ourselves up, that inclination to lie, Lord, is we know that it's rooted in our sense of inferiority. I pray, Father, that you would just begin a process of healing in our hearts. I pray that you would do what only your Holy Spirit can do and change us inside, Lord. So that the, the abundance of our heart would flow in truth and edifying words. We would bless others and not curse them. We would make peace. We would forgive. We would speak pure, Christ-honoring words. 
that our changed heart, Lord, would be evidenced in our changed conversation, we pray. Do this for us, I pray. Do it for the health and the well-being of our families. Do it for our children, I pray. Do it for the integrity and the unity of this church, I pray. Change our hearts. Break our hearts. That our tongues may glorify and honor you, not only when we worship on a Sunday morning, but throughout the week we pray. No matter who we speak to, for the honor and the glory of Jesus, we pray these things. Amen.